1857, and Joseph Gaiety's medicated paper for the water closet has just been released to cleanse the underserviced holes of the world. Of course, people have been using all sorts of things to clean themselves after a particularly vicious session for centuries, but toilet paper creates options. It's not just for butts. You can make things out of it, blow your nose with it, mop up spills of all kinds with it. You can use it for a multitude of irritating pranks and argue about which side of the holder the roll is supposed to go on. It faces out the way, by the way. Let's just nip that in the bud, as it were. Oh, yeah, and you can use it to contact the dead. This is Scotland, a podcast about history and where we made it. I'm Michael Park. It is 1944, and a grandmother from Perthshire has gone from working part-time in a bleach factory to being one of the most renowned spirit mediums in the United Kingdom. So much so, she's just been found guilty of witchcraft. And this is how this story is so often portrayed as an innocent person harmlessly contacting the dead beyond the veil of our mortal coil and being tried as a witch by the cruel and heartless government. And it would be easy to run with that, since trying anyone as a witch has always been a patently ridiculous thing to do and is based in patriarchal systems of oppression designed to keep women in their supposed place. And you could go further and say that trying a woman in 1944 using an act written more than 200 years before that would be ridiculous. And you might well be right. But in reality, this act made it illegal to claim that anyone had magical powers. It effectively ended a spate of witch hunts. Weirdly, this Witchcraft Act of 1735 was designed to get rid of the old superstitions and make it illegal to shout witch if anyone was seen using more than two herbs in their cooking pot. To boil an incredibly complicated issue down into a sentence, It took witchcraft from being a real thing, practiced by those with the criminal intent of devilry, to something that was considered weird and an offence against a state that suddenly considered itself enlightened for some reason. She is indicted on seven counts, two under this witchcraft act because there wasn't anything better, two of obtaining money under false pretenses, and three of public mischief. Helen Duncan isn't a witch, and she's sure as hell not a medium. Helen Duncan is an extraordinary con artist. It is 1928, and word is getting around about this new medium that is able to produce spirits into the physical realm. Not only can you hear from the spirits of your departed loved ones, You can see them in the room with you. Sure, it's dark. Sure, it's kind of murky, but they're coming out of her mouth. You can see it with your own eyes. She tells you it looks uncomfortable, but it's nothing to be worried about. It's ectoplasm that allows the spirits to manifest themselves in the room. People who have lost loved ones, and ten years after the end of World War I, there were millions of them, still coming to terms with their sudden and violent bereavement, flock to this new medium. Hellish Nell, some people called her, but she didn't go in for flashy names. Mrs. Helen Duncan was fine, 
and with her spirit guide Albert Stewart, a particularly brusque ghost who had supposedly emigrated to Australia, and wee Peggy, who was a troublemaking little girl spirit who frequently caused a rumpus at seances, Helen was able to produce the most incredible yarns for her clients to follow. Some wanted that connection with their loved ones, a bit of closure, and some, like one man who testified at her trial, wanted his dead wife's blessing to marry her sister, which is, and most likely was at the time, a hella weird vibe. Initially, people were getting what they wanted, and in fairness, it was rarely the punter off the street who had a problem with their serviced connection to the dearly departed. In fact, Helen Duncan's many supporters, and those who still campaigned to have her pardoned, believe she was a powerful medium, with a genuine connection to whatever plane lies beyond this one. Harvey Metcalf, a photographer, decided that he would take some photos of her summoning the spirits of Peggy, Albert, and those of the people she called forth in the room. As the photos developed, apparitions enshrouded in white began to appear, with a milky rope of ectoplasm coming forth from the medium's mouth. But photos take time to develop, and when they had, it was obvious that the spirits were little more than glorified papier-mâché Punch and Judy masks wrapped in old sheets, and it was it was difficult to make out for sure, but that that looked like a thick cord of cheesecloth and toilet roll coming out of her mouth. Was Helen Duncan, as we so often say, at it? The psychical researcher, Harry Price, initially thought that he'd got a live one, a real-life medium whose production of the mysterious ectoplasm seemed so visceral and real that there was no way it could be fictional. He obtained a sample and took it to a chemist for analysis. Quite apart from being the last physical vestiges of a departed spirit, it was actually egg white mixed with suspension chemicals, and he was able to make it himself at home. And so, the chase was on. The researcher versus the medium might not seem like a very exciting battle, but when Harry Price offered Helen Duncan the princely sum of £50, about £3,500 in today's money, to participate in a series of test seances designed to put her claims of mediumship through their paces, Duncan accepted. Score one to the medium. If you're willing to go under the microscope, then surely you have nothing to hide. Well, that's not strictly true. She had quite a lot to hide, actually. When it became clear that the researcher wanted her to submit herself for x-ray, you know, to check if she had anything stuck down her gullet or hidden up her nose, she immediately threw herself into a fit of pique. Her husband went up to her and told her it was painless. She jumped up and gave him a smashing blow on the face which sent him reeling. Then she went for Dr. William Brown, who was present. He dodged the blow. Mrs. Duncan, without the slightest warning, dashed out into the street, had an attack of hysteria and began to tear her seance garment to pieces. She clutched the railing and screamed and screamed. Her husband tried to pacify her. It was useless. I leave the reader to visualise the scene. A 17-stone woman, clad in black sateen tights, locked to the railings, screaming at the top of her voice. The truth is that it was just an excuse 
for her to pull the fake ectoplasm out of her nose and palm it off to her husband, who must have had sticky pockets for weeks afterwards. Not that the researcher would find out, since Mr Duncan refused to be searched. Call that one a draw for lack of conclusive proof, I suppose. In a later seance, the researchers managed to grab some of this ejected ectoplasm and cut a piece off. The sight of half a dozen men, each with a pair of scissors waiting for the word, was amusing. It came and we all jumped. One of the doctors got hold of the stuff and secured a piece. The medium screamed and the rest of the teleplasm went down her throat. This time it wasn't cheesecloth. It proved to be paper, soaked in white of egg and folded into a flattened tube. Could anything be more infantile than a group of grown men wasting time, money and energy on the antics of a crook? That makes it 1-1. But by the time the medium's other spirit manifestations were put to the test and found to be puppets, nightshirts, cut-out faces from magazines and, in one case, a rubber glove, it was a rout for the home team, sending Helen Duncan and her mediumship into the relegation zone. Except it didn't. Helen Duncan continued to practice her mediumship, even after her arrest and conviction for fraud in 1933, after someone turned on a light during one of her seances and revealed her conjured spirit to be an undervest. She kept at it, conjuring wee Peggy and Albert, routinely having her ectoplasm tested and found to be fake. In later years, she took to using fine silk that she would keep coiled up in her nose. I can imagine you can guess what it was that gave it that plasmic texture. The medium would fly under the radar until the outbreak of World War II, when a strange incident thrust her into the limelight again and put her on a one-way path to a meeting with the Witchcraft Act. If you're enjoying the show, you can get loads more from us on our Patreon. It starts at as little as £3 a month, and you can join it at patreon.com forward slash bequietmedia. It is November 1941. Nobody in the room knows yet. But the medium says that she's received a visitation from the other side. A young man. A sailor. He was aboard the HMS Barham when he died, sucked under the water, and drowned along with his shipmates off the coast of Egypt. The room gasps. This is the height of World War II in Portsmouth, where people know their ships and this information was a shock to everyone present. The sinking of the Barham wasn't revealed officially to the British public until three months later, and only the close families of those killed were informed before. So how could this Scottish medium possibly know what had happened? For many, that was it. It was proof that Helen Duncan could commune with the dead. Unassailable. Locked up, she knew something that only someone crossing from the other side could have told her. Except that if you tell more than one person something, eventually one of those people will tell someone else, and they'll tell someone else, and so on. Thousands of people likely knew about the sinking of the Barham by the time Helen Duncan conducted her seance, and thousands more had probably heard the rumour. 
When you add to that the fact that she was found to have a fake HMS Barham hat band that had supposedly been worn by one of the dead sailors, things start to unravel. But that didn't stop the government from keeping an eye on her. They sent officers to watch her seances, many of whom were given fake visitations from family members they either didn't have or were alive and well. And by 1944, enough was enough. One of the officers assigned to watch her went to the police and they raided the psychic centre where the meeting was taking place, arresting Helen Duncan, her agent and the couple who owned the centre. They were all charged. They were all convicted. None of them were witches, but they were all liars. Her supporters claim that the Prime Minister himself, Winston Churchill, was a personal fan of her work. He wasn't. He was, however, pretty annoyed that the courts were still using 200-year-old laws to try people. So after the war, the Fraudulent Mediums Act was eventually introduced in 1951. The medium herself would fall foul of that very law, despite her promise to stop conducting seances when she was released from prison after her nine-month sentence in 1945. She was arrested conducting one in 1956 and died at her home not long after. There was nothing strange about her death. You've been listening to Scotland. It was written and produced by me, Michael Park, and is a production of Be Quiet Media. The music for every episode of Scotland is by our very own unquiet spirit, Mitch Bain. You can check out more of his work at mitchbain.bequiet.media. Jamie Mowat does amazing illustrations for us, which you can see in our episode art. See more and buy prints at tidlin.com. Scotland is supported by Tony B, Chris Lingwood, and listeners like you on Patreon. You can get loads more from us for as little as £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash bequietmedia. You can find out more about the show and read transcripts on our website, scotlandpodcast.net, and we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram too. Find us by searching Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. Thanks for listening. Look after each other. Wear a mask. Get vaccinated if you can. We'll see you next time.